Let's pray. Lord, you are our king. You are our brother. And as we look at the parables in Matthew 13 today, I pray that we would uh, have our eyes open to realities of your kingdom, maybe even reopened to the realities of your kingdom that you express in story. I pray, God, that you would help us to see with eye, with, uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear today that which you have said. And I'm grateful that your word never returns void. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We are not finishing Matthew 13 today, um, but instead we're going to be covering the whole of Matthew 13. Well, Pastor Scott, we've been in Matthew 13 for weeks now. Can't we just leave it? Nope. Uh, that's not the way I do. Uh, anyway, so... Uh, so go ahead and open up to Matthew 13. Our focus is on uh, verses 51 and 52. So we're almost at the end. But there's something important that Jesus says, and I think it bears repeating. It's also the sermon title. He, he asks if the disciples have understood all these things. And so I'm going to be asking the same question of you as we go through the parables today. The, uh, there's, there's three sets, three sections of parables um, describing how the kingdom grows, how the kingdom is purified, and how valuable the kingdom is. So we're going to be going through those three sets um, and reading, reading a bit, but also summarizing a lot. So um, Let's go ahead and read our verses and, and dive into the deep end of the pool together tonight, or today, all right? So Matthew 13, verses 51 and 52. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, in verse 51, you have Jesus addressing the disciples, a particular group of people. And, I, and, and, and you can notice in verse 36, there's a shift. Uh, there's a couple shifts throughout, especially in the explanations of the parables. When Matthew writes this gospel, he, he, he pulls the explanations out and says, then the disciples approached him and asked what this meant. Um, so you've got the explanations just to the disciples. But then in verse 36, we read, uh, then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him. So the verses 36 and after are not public preaching. They're private teaching. And what you notice is that Jesus actually continues teaching even the disciples in parables. He's not giving them just plain fact, brute fact, you know, uh, like Paul does, right? Uh, main point, four, 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 therefore, conclusion, next point. Jesus doesn't do that. He continues teaching the disciples in parables. So what, what, what does this mean? That Jesus taught both an audience, crowds, and also his disciples in parables? Why? why? We're tempted to ask, why would he do that? Why would he keep doing that? You know, his disciples he's so plain with. Well, the answer comes in verse 51, where Jesus raises the question, have you understood all these things? 
the disciples, even the disciples, were meant to pay attention. Um, you, ever, uh, you ever notice that sometimes uh, when you have like people that are close to uh, like a speaker or a politician, right? They're the ones that are off to the side twiddling on their phones, you know, texting people. Uh, maybe they have their iPad out and they're drawing some sort of a rabbit or something, you know, just, just they're, they're the ones doodling. The ones close to the teacher, the public speaker, are the ones that are paying the least attention. Why? Because they already know what he's gonna say. They already know what's gonna happen. Uh, that happened in uh, college. The teacher's assistants were often the best or the, the worst students. Um, and, and you'd see them there and like they're the ones sitting in the back corner, just totally not paying attention. And it's like, man, you get paid to pay attention. Come on, do your job. Um, but the disciples were meant to listen carefully, not just when Jesus gave like really easy to understand statements, but also when he gave these, these stories, these parables, these expressions of truth related to daily life uh, in, in a colorful manner. And really, if you think about it, how wonderful a teacher Jesus is that he doesn't ignore those closest to him, but instead he continues that same manner of teaching, invoking in them these images that they can apply to their understanding of God and his kingdom. But we also know that the parables didn't just have the, the design of, of making people understand. They had the design of hiding information as well. Uh, we find that in verses 10 to 16, which is an interlude in the, the parables, where, where Jesus actually gives the purpose of parables. He, he says to you, the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, the crowds, it has not been given. Therefore, my endeavor this, mo this morning, my, my hope is to declare some of these secrets, to, 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 to show the brilliance of the Lord in what he said, um, how he connected similar dots throughout these parables, uh, pointing those themes of the kingdom I, I started with um, so that we can spark, uh, because they're meant to spark in our whole minds uh, this, this caricature of the kingdom, and also inflame our hearts to worship the king in his glory and majesty. So the first question, how does the kingdom grow? Jesus answers that question in three parables. Uh, the parable of the sower in verses 1 to 9, and then also the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven in verses 31 to 33. Uh, Jesus privately explains the parable of the sower in 18 to 23, um, using imagery of his day where a person would, would actually plow the entire field twice. They would plow the field and even the path around it. Uh, they would plow it all once, and then they would sow the seed, and then they would plow it again the other way, trying to bury the seed in the ground. The sower would till it with oxen uh, carrying a cart, and uh, bo both, both rounds, and consequently the oxen also fertilized the seeds. Um, good, good cows. Um, so we find in, in that parable, the parable of the sower, uh, that, that the gospel is the seed. We find that where Jesus explains it in verse 19. We find that the gospel is the seed and it falls on varying types of soil. In some soils it grows, 
but it also gets choked out by worldly cares. In other soil, it can't get deep enough and gets snatched up by birds of the air, Satan, as he explains it, and not understood. And so on until you get to the good soil where the gospel takes root and it grows. That's where the good news of the kingdom of heaven really takes root in a person's heart and changes their life and they, they, they bear fruit, some 100, some 60, some 30 fold. So which are you? And this is the same question I asked when we covered this. Which are you? How has the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of heaven, taken root in your heart, in the field of your heart? Is it growing? Is it being choked out? Uh, are you here against your will? Did you get dragged here and you had no choice in the matter and you hate it? And you're, you're thinking of what you're going to do when you get home? Are, are you like the, uh, the, the, the public, the crowds, who's meant to have the truths hidden from you? Or are you like the disciples who go to Jesus afterward and want to know more? Why? Because they know that they need deeper soil. The gospel really is that treasure, both old and new. It's the seed from where, where the whole plant sprouts. And if you know, if you know how a seed germinates, right? It, it, it cracks open, the husk opens up, but then the plant grows out of it. And where the seed was is where the roots grow from. You'll never be, move beyond the gospel, friends. Never, ever, ever. As Tim Keller put it, the gospel is not the ABCs of salvation. The gospel is the A to Z of salvation. You'll never move beyond that good news of Jesus the King and his sacrificial death on your account. Speaking of the disciples and their growth, um, or rather all disciples and their growth, uh, we have the two remaining parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. Those found in verses 31 to 33. And what we read in those verses is the inevitable growth of the kingdom from something small to something large. Uh, the, a mustard seed begins extremely small. He calls it the smallest of all plants, but he's being hyperbolic. Uh, the, the mustard seed is a grain. It's tiny. It, it's, it's almost like, uh, like I, I had a buddy that was a chef, and so we always had mustard seeds in the kitchen. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, you were supposed to toast them, otherwise they're toxic. Uh, but but I, I, that's why I never touched them. I let him use them. But, <laughs> but he knew what to do with them. I didn't. But they were so small. They were like flakes of pepper when you, when, when you, uh, when you looked at how small they were. And that, that mustard seed, when it's planted, grows up to actually be a really pretty big tree. Not, not the biggest tree. It's not like a redwood, but it was a really big tree. It started small and then became something huge. And such is the way that the kingdom of heaven grows, the kingdom of God. It begins small, a ragtag bunch of disciples. Frankly, most of them shouldn't have gotten along. One of them betrayed Jesus. But, but then it grew into global Christianity. It started tiny, but now it is a huge faith. I mean, depending on how we really count huge. But, but what theologians say about that is that it's the invisible church, meaning it's a global version of Christianity. Uh, there, there's believers in Christ all across the globe that you and I will never know. They are completely invisible to us. 
And yet God knows them, and he's grown them, and they are all part of the same tree. And the, 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 the tree of the kingdom of heaven is so big that even, even the birds of the air take nest in it. You see, the, the first parable, well, I also want to touch on the, the leaven. When you think of yeast, yeast is not big. That's what leavening is. When you put it in dough, it continues leavening the dough. There's a, there's a point where you can over, <laughs> oh, oh, not proof. The word coming to mind is proof, but you can over yeast dough. You can leave it in the, uh, the fridge too long. And if you've ever done that, if you've ever made homemade dough and you leave the yeast in it and you forget about it for a day, you come back and you don't have a shelf left where you put that dough. It keeps growing and keeps expanding. And that's kind of the way that the kingdom of heaven is too. It starts as just something teeny, but in, 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 throughout the world, it grows and it advances. The first parable uh, was about the, the possibility of growth, right? The seed of the gospel taking root in all these different types of soil. Uh, it might grow. It grows good in the good soil, but it doesn't grow in the rocky or any of the other soils. But then these other two parables about the growth of the kingdom are, are about the inevitability of the growth. We're we are responsible for bearing fruit as Christians if we truly embrace, embrace the gospel. But we can also rest assured that nothing is going to stop the kingdom. And that's the point Jesus is trying to make that. How does the kingdom grow? It does. There is nothing stopping it. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. For now, we worry and we don't see how the kingdom is growing. I mean, you think of our church. I mean, we've gotten new people, we've gotten visitors, we've gotten neighbors, we've got, we've got people that have come, but, but we look at us and we go, man, we haven't really changed in a year. And I know COVID's kind of a weird year, but it hasn't really changed that much. And in fact, we've kind of shrunk more than we've grown, and it's not really that great. But friends, nothing will stop the kingdom from growing. Nothing. So for now, we worry, we fret. We, we fret also about whether or not our kids embrace the gospel, truly accepting the news. What type of soil are my kids? We're nervous to declare the gospel to others because we're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of growing God's kingdom. We're afraid of bearing fruit. Let's be honest about it. But one day, friends, there will be a day where there is no more fear, no more shame in believing and loving the God of the gospel. Why? Because one day it will reach its point of fruition. Like the dough, there's a day that Jesus is going to take it from the fridge, put it in the oven, and start baking it. The kingdom is growing even though you don't see it. Now, the next set of parables cover the question, how is the kingdom cleansed? And Matthew 13 is set up in what's called a chiastic structure. The Greek letter key, which is an X, or looks like an X. It's not an X. Uh, but, but it has like point here, point here, point here, point here, and everything intersects in the middle. So uh, the, the Matthew chapter 13 is kind of like point A, point B, point B. Point A, point A, point A. And it kind of goes around in circles. So the second set of, uh, of parables answers the question, how then is the kingdom cleansed? Or how is it purified? Or how is it sorted? 
That's actually the word Jesus is use or uh, Jesus use uses. Uh, the parables that, that answer this question are found in verses 24 to 30 with the parable of the weeds and then in 47 to 50 with the parable of the net or the drag net. And we're not talking about the TV show here. We're actually talking about a net that is dragged, otherwise known as a drag net. Um, Oh, quotes are coming to my mind. I need to keep going. Anyway, so, <laughs> so we, we discussed the parable of the weeds a couple weeks back, uh, where Satan sows weeds among the good seed and the sower, who's Jesus, uh, in the parable, decides to let the, 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 the wheat grow uh, among the weeds until it's ready for the harvest. And the harvest, again, like we discussed, is the end of the age. It's the end. It's the consummation period. Uh, it's where it's, it's, it's not a reference to the rapture. It's actually a reference towards the, the end. Um, and, and so then Jesus culminates it all by, by uh, returning and bringing about the new heavens and new earth. The application we were to have when we talked about it is, is that we need to grow anyway. Even though there's weeds around, we need to grow anyway. Even though there's unrighteous that choke us out, we grow anyway. It is our duty to keep growing. Uh, jumping to the second parable, though, we find another example in the parable of the net. Um, unlike most of our previous examples, it's not an agricultural example doesn't involve planting. Uh, but it's an example that would be common to a lot of Jesus's listeners, which again were the disciples, because a lot of the disciples were fishermen. And what fishermen would do at the time is they would, they, they would anchor, they would, uh, they would take a rope that had a mesh net attached to it. Uh, they would take a rope and they would anchor it to a rock. Usually they would try and roll a rock onto the, the, the uh, thing, not just tie it because a a knot can break, but a rock is probably not going to let go. So they would roll a giant rock on part of this net, and then they would get in their boat, and they would take the other end, and they would drag it into the sea. And these nets were sometimes 150 feet tall. I mean, they were huge. And so they would drag it out into the sea, and they would uh, then, then once they got it far enough out, they would loop back around, and they would drag any fish. Oh, and they had, they, I'm sorry, I forgot. They also had floats on the top, and they had weights on the bottom, so that it would go all the way to the bottom of the, the, the sea, and then all the way to the top of the sea, and they would drag it back once they reached the end in order to loop all the fish in. And then there was usually a team of people that would drag the net back up onto the shore and they would view the catch. So this would have been something that was very familiar to Jesus' disciples. They would, they would know exactly what this was like. And so therefore, Jesus gives us this parable, and I'm going to read it, verses 47 to 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this parable has a similar meaning to the weeds, explaining how the kingdom of heaven will be purified or sorted, the, the good from the bad, which is actually more literally the clean from the unclean. 
And this would have been hearkening the disciples back to their, to their, uh, their learning in synagogue about Leviticus and what fish were clean to eat and what fish were not clean. The fish with scales were good. The fish that were slimy were not. Um, so uh, the, talking about how, how the angels are going to be sorting this out at the end of the age. Uh, fish of every kind will be gathered into the net. And curiously, and more literally, Jesus is actually saying fish of every ethnicity. He's not just saying kind. There's a word for kind, but here Jesus is using this very clever word choice, implying that all kinds of people are going to be in this net. I thought Jesus was talking about fish. Well, it's, it's a metaphor. Come on, folks. Um, so, uh, simile, because he uses the word like. So, um, it's, it's curious, again, because that's not the normal way you refer to fish. You don't refer to the ethnicity of fish, even in Greek. So, so Jesus is trying to make a point here. Uh, and we also read again that the, he's going to sort the good from the bad fish, which means the clean and the unclean, which means the righteous and the unrighteous. So he's thinking about, Jesus is using words about ritual purity, um, making them think of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And it's a little different between the comparison of wheat and weeds in the other parable. So Jesus, Jesus is being more clear to his disciples than he was to the crowds. Why? Because he wants to make sure the disciples understand um, and he's hiding things from the crowds. So the point is, is this, only the purified and the righteous are placed into the containers, but the unrighteous are thrown into the fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is hell. It's the final judgment. So do you understand this? Do you understand it? That Jesus is going to purify his kingdom? That Jesus will purify his kingdom? That, we, that we, we don't have to worry about any enemies sneaking into the kingdom at the end of the age. We don't have to worry about someone screwing up God's plan. Here on earth, even in the church, we're warned that people will sneak their way into our midst. Into our midst. That, that there's going to be people that are a corruption to God's people, like wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, Matthew 7, 15, and that there's going to be false prophets in need of testing, 1 John 4, 1. But in the end of the age, the consummation, the return of Christ, there is going to be no wicked person that comes into the kingdom of God. None, zero, zilch. What a glorious day that's going to be, saints but it's a terrifying day to the false believer. It's a terrifying day to the, to the God-hating person outside, but it's also a terrifying thing to the God-hating person inside the church walls. The person who worships a false god and tries to convince God's people to worship a false god, the person who seeks to gain profit from God's people uh, while not carrying their cross and casting aside their sinful passions, Mark 8.34, the person who engages foolish controversies about the law and creates division in Titus 3, 9, and 10. For now, we Christians suffer with men and women like that in our midst. But one day, they're going to be no more. Do you understand that? No more. No, no, no more struggling. No more strife. No more arguing. No more, no more silly discussions. It's going to be over. Done. 
Therefore, remain hopeful and steadfast, saints. Find your rest in the sower of the good seed and the captain of the fleet. Find your rest in Jesus. Do you understand that? One day it's over. All done. And our final two parables are found in verses 44 to 46. Um, these were our topic for last week, so I'm just going to hurry through them. But it's, it's answering the question, how valuable is the kingdom? So, so the first one, how does it grow? The second one, how is it sorted? And the third one, how valuable is it? Um, these two parables attest that those who stumble upon the kingdom and those who also seek for the kingdom and find it, um, they're, they're, they're rewarded by God's incredible grace. Uh, they're, 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 but they're both to respond the same, that they're to count all they have as loss for the sake of obtaining the treasure of the kingdom. Christians are to be willing to give up everything they have in order to hold that treasure do everything they can to obtain it, casting aside all worldly goods and pleasures because, frankly, they lose nothing by losing all that stuff but gain everything when they gain the kingdom. And I'm going to read those verses again. So verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like, a, is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you understand this? Do you understand it? Do you understand how precious the kingdom is? Then forsake the treasures of this world, both that you own and don't. And I'm really shouting this at myself. Uh, more than anybody else. I'm really preaching this to me. Forsake the treasures of this world, the things that grow pride, the things that do not help you worship the king, the things that will inevitably fade or be stolen from you. In Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For now, friends, we have competing affections. We struggle to see with clear vision, and for those of us with glasses, it's easy to imagine. How, how hard is it to see in this world? This hard. It's this hard. As hard as it is when I take off my glasses. But for now, we struggle to see with clarity what's truly important. And so Jesus gives us these parables to clear our vision, to remind us of what's important. It's not the treasures of this world. It's the treasure of God and his gospel. But one day we won't have to wrestle with these things anymore. Do you understand that? One day. One day, you won't have to worry about whether or not your van is going to be fixed. That's me. You won't, one day, you won't, have to, you won't have to think about how often you need to clean things in order for them to function. One day, you won't have to raise up walls because they fell over. Why? Because moth and rust destroy everything in this earth, but the kingdom of heaven's value never perishes. 
One day you won't know with your minds and hearts partially how good God is. You will know fully how good God is. What a wonderful day that's going to be. And it's worth giving up everything on earth in order to have. So how do we put these parables together? This is, this is all one day, and I didn't really make that clear, but this is probably all one day that Jesus taught. He taught, uh, he, he taught to uh, the crowds, and he said the parables that he said to the crowds, and then he goes away, and then the disciples start asking questions, and they start wondering, why are you doing this? And you know, well, what does this mean? And what does this mean? And then Jesus gives more parables. So this is probably all in one day that, that Jesus is teaching all this stuff. But the common theme here is, is, is ultimately the kingdom. And when we put these three things together, these three types of parables together, we find that God's kingdom is powerful, it's pure, and it's precious. And you can say, well, kind of, we're still waiting for the end of the age. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's why theologians like to call it the already, but the not yet. There's portions of these parables that are already true, and they're sure, we already know that, but they're not quite there because these things haven't yet happened. But we have to remember that, that right now, God's kingdom is powerful and precious, but they'll be more so when Christ returns. It's pure now, but it will be made more so at the coming of Christ when he finally sifts and separates the ungodly and the unrighteous out of this world. Um, that second parable, of the, the parable of the dragnet also, has been allegorically, I didn't include this where I should have, but it's been allegorically interpreted to be the church. Uh, that the net, the dragnet, is all the people that are caught within the net of the gospel. But, but so you have a community of Christians like this, uh, and the net is one day going to be sifted so that finally the unrighteous are going to be removed from it. I'm not, I'm not sure that that's the best interpretation, but it makes sense. I mean, we are kind of all stuck in this building. You're all stuck here until I stop preaching. So, um, but, but that's not really what, what I think the parable is trying to say. It's trying to talk about the sureness of the sorting, the purifying work. So, so all these parables have an air of earthly struggle about them. An, an air of, of the, for now this, but one day this. They all implicitly or explicitly even talk about the struggles we have on this earth. They, they fill our minds and our hearts with reminders that we most desperately need. We most desperately need to remember that the kingdom of heaven is powerful because the king is powerful. We most desperately need to be reminded that the kingdom of heaven is pure because the king is pure. We most desperately need to be reminded that the kingdom is precious because the king is precious. For now, we don't see that fully. We don't see those things yet. Not in their, not in their full, clear vision. For now, we don't see it at all. But one day, sinners ransomed from their due judgment will get to see it clearly. These parables give us something to look forward to. They relate common everyday life things for, the, for, the first, for a first century follower of Christ, but they relate it to this future time that we, we still have yet to encounter. 
These, these parables should make us look forward to this day, to fill us with, with hope and have us, have us be evoked into a, a desperate plea to the Lord saying, yes, yes, Lord, remind me of these things. Carry me to their completion. Come quickly. So therefore, let that be your application from this sermon, from, from Matthew 13 specifically. Pray to the king of heaven that his kingdom might be seen by you as powerful, pure, and precious. That every day you might see that more and more clearly as you move closer and closer to that day of completion, whether that's your end or Jesus's return. Right now, we don't see these things clearly, but one day we will. Let's pray. God, you as king are powerful, you're pure, you're precious. We want to see that, Lord. We need to see that. We need to be reminded of it, and that's why you gave it in these parables, not just for our benefit, but because, frankly, it's something that all people need to hear. We need to be told of these things because our hearts grow dull, our, our, our minds grow dull, so, Lord, give us the strength, give us the, give us the mercy, give us the grace to see these things in their beauty. In Jesus' name, amen. Saints, I don't know what you're going through, but I know that God gave us Matthew 13 in the time we had in order to encourage us in something. I don't know where the Lord has worked in your heart, but remember if all else fails, remember that his kingdom is powerful, pure, and precious. Live in response to those truths. Go in peace, saints.